All right, and with that, we welcome you back into another episode of the One Giant Podcast, where, as always, I'm Adam Marbrecht, and over there is Andy Makowitz. How are you, sir? I'm good. I've got all my rations and provisions. We're in a pandemic, but we have a hurricane with 70-mile-an-hour winds heading for MetLife Stadium. How are you doing, Adam? Batten down the hatches, clear out the facility. Don't let anybody. Oh, wait, maybe no one's maybe no one's there anyway. Uh, I'm doing great, man. I, I was, before we started, I just came off of uh, a really fun uh, weekend up at the cabin with uh, my girlfriend and her uh, brother-in-law and her sister as well. She she came along too and their kids. So we had a nice weekend uh, floating on the river, seeing bald eagles soaring over the Delaware. If you have a chance to stop by the Delaware, Andy, might I recommend it? It is but also uh, try to get it in there before the uh, 70 mile hour winds come just in case that's on the on the table smart move smart move you don't want to be floating down a river during a hurricane i'll tell you that <laughs> that's from personal experience um before we yeah. obviously there's a, a lot of good stuff around the giants right now and and there's a bit of a bit of a not don't say delay but a gap between this because we it's i like to talk about content and not just fluff so we got a lot of good stuff to get into but before that there was once a man who prided himself on playing for Big Blue. He finds himself in the the brown and orange these days and, and had, had a take on the upcoming season, I do believe. Yes. So our good friend Odell Beckham Jr. came out and said that he doesn't think the NFL should play this year. He said that he, that he doesn't think it's safe and he doesn't want to – potentially you know he understands why people shouldn't be playing and he doesn't think that they should play yet Odell Beckham reported to camp and he's there and he's training and doing everything that he needs to be doing but I found it interesting that Odell came out and was very vocal about the idea that the NFL should not be playing the season this year what's your thoughts on on his comments well I mean honestly you know from and I want to say specifically for him, but I know because he's not married, doesn't have children, and that can be an issue for a lot of players across all these sports that can maybe play a bigger factor if you're single and healthy. I think it's a little bit easier to dive in on the season. Um, but I will say, man, you know, MLB is having their issues, and I, the NFL is a league that is not concerned about player safety and player health, and I can understand players having these concerns. I think when Odell Beckham says things, it's sometimes a little bit tricky to gauge where he's really coming from with it. And then ultimately, too, there was the opportunity to opt out. So he had that choice. And then he chose to report, which means he chose to earn that paycheck. And, um, you know, he, he's in a different position than a lot of players, right? He's not he's not scraping by right now. So he could have made whatever choice he wants. And maybe that feels in line with, with who he's been uh, over the course of his pro- professional career, right? Says a lot of things. And you don't really know if that's remotely tied to actual thoughts that he has or actions that he's going to take. Yeah, I think, I think the interesting uh, things to think about when Odell Beckham makes that statement is uh, when he signed in August of 2018 with the giants, he got 65 million in total guarantees and 41 million was guaranteed at signing. And it also included a $20 million signing bonus. So for a guy like Odell Beckham, yeah, maybe we shouldn't play. Like I already got like 65, 70 million, like no big deal. But when you think about how many players and the percentage of players that are playing on the minimum salary, the veteran veteran minimum and, and all the different uh, you know players that are under that circumstance, he's clearly in an upper echelon of players where uh, you know, they're, they're set for life and they're, and they're 
children are set for life and their children's children are set for life. So it, it's a little bit uh, rich to me, you know, pun intended, coming from Odell Beckham to say, yeah, we shouldn't play, but I'm going to report. I already got my $65 million, So, like, uh, I guess I'm, I'm here for a good time, you know. Well, you know, and by the way, because we won't, we won't belabor it, but, you know, you've seen a lot of players have chose to opt out. Um, and they cited their their concerns around it, but there hasn't really been a lot of comment or discussion around it. It's just these players have chosen to opt out. And not unlike, you know, because I do some NBA stuff, when Dame Lillard and a lot of the Blazers were coming out around the restart for the NBA, they said, I don't know, you know, we don't really want to do it. If we don't have a guaranteed chance to compete for the playoffs, we don't want to be a part of it. Now they reported and they played, and now Portland is right there in the mix of it. And again, when you're one of those players like like a Lillard who has made a lot of money over his career, you're often better off, you know, maybe just citing the concerns of all players around the league and not maybe thinking, you know, making it come from you personally because it always rings a little bit hollow. And as uh, my co-host on, on that entity, Doug Norrie, would say, you know, it's just a bad look and there, there's really no upside to that take. So you might as well go ahead and just, just not say it because you're not going to come out looking particularly good on it uh, from that standpoint. So, Oh, listen, it feels like it's Odell being Odell in a lot of ways. We uh, turn our attention now over to the Giants side of things, training camp, the opportunity for players to report. Uh, There's a couple interesting dates here and choices that the Giants ended up making. Very brief footnote uh, in regards to training camp, Leonard Williams did show up with a sore or tweaked hamstring. Um, beyond the fact that this happens with players across the board every single year regardless of circumstance uh, i'm not inclined to to go too long on that because there's there's nothing here for, for me beyond the fact that it's leonard williams and you feel like oh that's there's more meat on that bone for us if we want it yeah i mean listen when he signed the franchise tag and he came in for his physical he said that his hamstring was a little bit hurt it's not something that the medical staff looks at and says this is a long-term concern for us you know this is a tissue uh, you know muscle tissue issue yeah I i'm with you this is just another opportunity for people to pile on saying how terrible the trade was. And it's just not Leonard Williams fault that Dave Gettleman decided to give a third and a fifth round pick for Leonard Williams. He is a good player. He's slightly injured. Let's just put him on the, on the injured list, let him rehab for the next month. And I'm sure whether it's the first game or the first couple of games, he's going to be back and he's going to be the player that we hope he's going to be. 100%. So uh, on the other side of it, uh, in regards to opt-outs, uh, Damari Scott added to that list of a very short list for the Giants at this standpoint. But the bigger name on that one, of course, was Nate Solder. He chose to opt out, citing concerns, uh, obviously, with his son, who has been dealing with uh, cancer over the last number of years. And if there's ever a situation where you understand why, why a player does not want to risk the health of himself or his family, Nate Solder is certainly in, in that boat. Just your, your thoughts on, on him alone first before we worry about the football side of it. Yeah, I think we, we all know that Nate is a great human being and he cares about his family and his family has gone through a lot of hardships over the last 24, 36 months. And so, you know, it's not a surprise that he's putting that first year and, and more power to him. I think this is this is the, the right move to to opt out for him. I I don't look at it as a cesspitous for the, the Mets situation where he just doesn't show up, doesn't call anyone, just clears out his hotel room and says, I'm not playing because of COVID when he's just not getting the playing time that he wants. It's like, oh, that's what like, turned out to be. Oh, okay, good. Because, by the oh, way, uh, someone said it to me. They go, hey, you heard about Cespedes? I was like, what? They're like, they can't find him. <laughs> like, it was just like. They, they, could, they couldn't find him. He didn't report to the ballpark. <laughs> they tried calling him. They couldn't get in touch with him. They went. They, they had members of the team go to his hotel room. They opened it up. 
and like the maid had already cleaned it out. There were still mints on the pillow and they're like, where is Cespedes? Where did he go? They still couldn't get in touch with him. And it, it ended up that uh, his agent told them that because of COVID concerns, he was leaving the team. So you, I, I, I was just saying that this is this is not a Cespedes situation, right. like where there could be innuendos and inferences that maybe it wasn't COVID, that COVID was kind of used as an excuse. Nate certainly has a reason to. More power to him. We wish him and his family the best of luck. A hundred percent. And if you're the Mets, by the way, for I know I know the big brass over at the Mets organization listens into the One Giant Podcast. You're going to want to go ahead and cut ties there just as quickly <laughs> as humanly possible. Accept it. <laughs> It's not going well. Let's all move on. Um, so now, though, because of Nate Soldier's decision to opt out of the season, and, and you couldn't have said it better as far as just support for him and his family, um, now we look over, though, and a lot of things happened here. So uh, coming into this, there was an opportunity for the Giants. The deadline to make cuts was actually August 16th, and Joe Judge at the end of last week had said, yeah, we're going to we're gonna wait and utilize all the time we have uh, before we make those decisions. However, if you wanted to have everyone working together in one group, as opposed to having to split some things up because of uh, COVID and, and the restrictions that are getting placed around it, they went ahead and made some cuts here so that they wouldn't have to deal with that issue over the next couple of weeks as they get into training camp. Um, we're we're, we're going to get into the offensive line. That's the most important thing. But just real quick here, those cuts were uh, John Hilleman, uh, fullback Aston, quarterback Case Cook, uh, C- uh, Cookus, excuse me. You also had uh, Bedeku, Levine, uh, Golden, Galden, excuse me, not Marcus Golden, Peace, and then also Taylor. So a handful of names there. Most of them I know. A couple of them were here for about seven seconds. Now, um, that move gets made, makes a ton of sense. You can briefly say what a smart move it was by the Giants. And then we can think about what it means for this offensive line now without Nate Soldier and some of the other news or possibilities around that line as well. Yeah, and, and it's tough for us at the One Giant Podcast to hear uh, John Hillman uh, no longer being part of the team. Uh, I think you know when they drafted Javon Leak or you know signed him uh, post draft, you kind of saw the writing on the wall with with Saquon Barkley and Deion Lewis already in the fold, and the team still. Um, having an affinity for Wayne Gallman, you know, there's just not that many spots to, f- for the running back position. Um, and so, you know, John was just kind of a casualty, but we wish him the best. I really hope he does land on his feet. I hope he comes back and can resign with the Giants and, and make an impact. But yeah, it, it seemed like that was uh, the one noteworthy one for, for me uh, of a guy that really contributed um, when Saquon and, and others were down uh, last year. Well, yeah, and because and, quickly too, it, it does. Well, it, it's a shame. I, I like John Hilleman as a player. I, I really do think that he has a, a skill set that can be utilized around uh, in the league somewhere, if not on the Giants. Um, and, and I know you know you had said though too off podcast about Wayne Gallman. I don't not like him. Um, I, I do think that the the you know the proof has been in the pudding, so to speak, as far as what his value is with Leak behind him. My first thought was, you know, you move on from Hilleman and that and that stings that that stings a little bit. But I think this speaks more to what how they look at Leak and what they think he can be. And there could be an expectation here that when it's all said and done, you may go into the season with a Barkley Lewis Leak backfield as opposed to you know Goldman may still not be on this roster here. And I'm not that you you know it's not a personal thing, but I think you would not be 
displeased if Gallman was not in that rotation. No, and, and you know, Wayne Gallman had some time last year. He averaged 3.8 yards per per carry for his career with the Giants. He's had almost 200 rushing attempts, and he's at four yards per carry. I, it's just one of those things where when we're talking about filling in for depth, like if we want a guy on the roster that can get us two, three, four, four yards uh, a carry every now and then, like I, I understand it. But to me, there, there's probably other rookies or younger players that we could bring into the fold and develop behind Barkley and Lewis that I think give us a little bit more upside in the long term. I don't think Wayne Gallman is necessarily in the long term plans. I don't think the Giants view him as a second contract type player um so for me you know it, it was one of those things where uh, listen Wayne is is a competitor and he and he wants to do as well as he can but unfortunately the stats just don't bear it out and so for me you know I could see them getting a little bit more creative as we get closer to this season but knowing that there's no preseason games and knowing that this is such a weird situation it's almost like you know the guy. You're familiar with him. He's been in the system. It's just it's just easier to bring him back than it is to take a gamble. You know this early on. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other little note that I'll that I'll throw out there too is uh, with George Aston getting let go. The fullback it, it solidifies Elijah Penny. If you want to, you know, I, this may seem minor, but he's a quality player for this team. He can contribute not just from a fullback position, but he's shown that he can also run the ball when called upon. I, I like him. He's a quality player, and I think. Joe Judge probably looks at him with with a bit of versatility, and Jason Garrett looks at him with some versatility, and that's really what they're looking for on that side of the ball. So probably locking him in uh, for this season if you thought there was competition there. Now, we we mentioned Nate Solder, and we mentioned the offensive line. In addition to him opting out, we also had the news that uh, Nick Gates – gets rewarded here. And if you've listened to the podcast, we, we've sung his praises and a lot of people have, right? A lot of people are a fan of Nick Gates and thought that he showed enough last year to warrant an opportunity here. Um, you, the contract, whatever, it's an, a two-year extension effectively. When you look at this offensive line now, though, without Solder, what is your ideal scenario? Because we know that he's going to compete, Nick, Nick Gates, that is, at center and at right tackle. Do you have a preference of him winning out at center and being the starter there. And then arguably maybe it's Fleming that gets that starting bid there, at least initially over at the right side, or would you rather it be Gates over at right tackle? And then you're looking at probably a Spencer pulley scenario, at least to start the season in the middle. Well, what I think is interesting is thinking about what the giants depth chart shows after Nate Solder opts out. And I was actually surprised to see the setup that they had. Um, so as of right now, the New York Giants depth chart going into the preseason is Andrew Thomas at left tackle, um, Hernandez at guard, Spencer Pulley at center, Zeitler at right guard, which is not surprising, and Matt Pert at right at the starting right tackle right now, mm-hmm. which surprised me knowing that you know when when Pert was drafted, it seemed like everyone was saying he's kind of a, a little bit of a project that they think he can potentially be a starting player, but not necessarily right out of the gates. So to me, the, the, the starting lineup was interesting how they decided to put it for now and read into it what you want this is preseason, but it's the way that the Giants are, are projecting things. Did you have any thoughts about who they have listed as number ones on the depth chart? Yeah, well, because you know, so there's there's two parts to it. The contract that they gave to Nick Gates, which I don't know if up in front of me, and maybe you have those numbers to shout out at me. Um as I as I uh speak on the line here for a minute and catch my thoughts um the 
the contract doesn't indicate that this is a guy that they automatically are locking into a starting role. What it, what it initially really thought to me was they believe that he's a quality player and that he offers at the worst quality depth across this offensive line at multiple positions. Already know that he's been able to step in at the guard position. He's played a tackle. Now he's going to compete at center. So what you end up having is potentially, again, worst case, a Swiss army lineman that could literally plug and play anywhere across this line. So if you want to take the stance that it doesn't lock him into a starting role anywhere, then when you, you know, you want to say, well, get the young guys in there and let them learn early. But if that was the case, then I'd say we'll throw Lemieux to the Wolves at center and don't have Pulley starting there because Pert, Lemieux and Pert are in the same boat of needing time to develop. The other thing to me is, you know, they may, they may list Pert there as the starter, but I can't see risking Daniel Jones' health, health by putting, you know, putting – Someone you think needs development and experience at the right side, you're still going to have a rookie on the left side in Thomas, and then a bit of a question mark and or subpar performance if it's pulley at the center. But like, you're, you're really putting yourself back in that, oh boy, where are we going to land here in terms of the quality in front of Daniel Jones and in front of Saquon Barkley? And to further that, my thought was as well, because some names were floated out there around who else the Giants might try to sign to replace that roster spot that's uh, vacated by Solder. And, and a name in DeMar Dotson, formerly the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, comes out. Right tackle, played to a nearly 72 pro football focus rating last season. That, to me, would make a ton of sense to say, if we're going to go away from it, I'm more inclined to think that they'll go outside to fill the starting right tackle need as opposed to going with Fleming, who I think they want to be depth, or going with Pert, who I think they believe needs time to get experience there. If it's not going to be Gates at right tackle, then I think there's someone else out there that needs to be brought in. Well, uh, to, to your point about the the contract, so Nick Gates has signed a two-year extension. He's making 675 k this year. Great team control. Amazing. Uh, the two-year extension on that is for $6.8 million. Um, so it's basically $3.4 million per year. And the great thing that the Giants got was there are incentives to bring up that two-year extension up to about $10.5 million. And it's about starts and, and all, you know, all the different incentives that you could possibly have. So the way that the Giants are looking at it, it's a win-win. They saw promise from Gates in limited snaps. And what they're saying is $3 million for a swing tackle, swing guard, a guy that can kind of fill in when, when someone gets injured or for different plays – is, is definitely worth it for the Giants to do, especially because he's young and he can still develop. And if he ends up being a starting right tackle or you know, starting somewhere along the line, you know, you, you're talking about $5 million a year at most with, with incentives. So now we have a, you know, one of these depth players that's young and has upside, and really you have him for three years and, and it's only $11 million total. So for me, that's a great deal for the Giants. And I think it's a really smart play for Nick Gates too. Like he kind of solidifies himself that I have two years to really build myself into whatever role it is with the Giants. And they're giving me an opportunity and they believe in me. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I love that. That, that, that. That's rewarding a young player who is developed within your organization. In spite of, a, of the regime change under new a new head coaching staff, you still look at this player and say, I see the tape, or if you're Garrett or if you're a judge, you know, I see the tape. I like what I see. There's no reason for us not to want to keep him around here. And to your point, and we also believe in him to some extent because we, we, we'd be happy to pay this guy $10.5 because it means that we've gotten ourselves a starter on this offensive line. 
Right. And, and, and when we talk about the other uh, potential centers and tackles that we're, that we're talking about, it seems like the guards are pretty much locked in with, with Hernandez and, and Zeitler. <sighs> to, to me, it just seems odd that they put Pert, you know, at, at right into the right tackle position, even on the depth chart. To me, Cam Fleming is the easy answer where he's kind of the security blanket. He knows Jason Garrett. He knows the type of offense he likes to run. So, like, he, he seems like he has a comfort level. He's experienced. He's a veteran across a line that, you know, Zeitler is, is really the only veteran uh, when we talk about Andrew Thomas and, and Hernandez and, you know, potentially either Spencer Pulley or my person that I think should start is, is Shane Lemieux. So, for, for me, I think a, a starting lineup of, of having Cam Fleming on the right side, Zeitler at guard, really shores up the right-hand side with some veterans that have been around for a while. You know, putting Shane Lemieux at center, I know that he's raw. I know he's just changing this position. But I don't think the Giants are, are really sold on Spencer Pulley at, at this point. Jalapio is is not in the picture right now. So for me, I think that's the, the position that I would give an opportunity to a young rookie is, is at the center position, not necessarily on the outside. Well, it was a nice – we had talked about this off podcast before too about even if you're going to take lumps – I mean, you think about Daniel Jones, right? The relationship with the center is obviously of maximum importance for a young quarterback. So if you're going to have Nick Gates competing, and I want, cause I want to ask you the question there about if he's going to compete and he can plug in there at center, well, then maybe you can hang your hat on him and say, listen, we're going to go forward with him. And Lemieux, who came out of college as a guard, he can now become our depth at these guard positions, right? He becomes the backup there. Um, but do you you think it's worth if he shows enough? Obviously, then you get to have that start. It's worth some of those early lumps for Lemieux for the Lemieux Jones relationship to start immediately, if possible. Yeah, I mean, listen, the Giants have Nick Gates listed as the backup center and the backup right tackle right now. So, so, so and and yeah. what what what's interesting to me is they have Cam Fleming listed as the backup left guard behind Hernandez, which. Yeah, that I couldn't figure out either. <laughs> so, uh, to me, I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't envision him playing guard in any scenario unless uh, maybe there's no one else that can play guard behind Hernandez and and Fleming. Like, it, it, is he the best equipped to play guard of, of the position? Maybe he's experienced enough to be able to slide in there and not really lose a beat. Well, it's I, I don't know. Well, for yeah, because for me, when I look at it, because you're right, like, but I look at the depth chart in my mind, and I guess I'll because then the other follow up was about you would prefer Lemieux starting at center, Fleming starting at right tackle, and Gates remaining as as a backup swing across the line Swiss Army option, and that and it's not not a terrible one. And you pointed out the relationship that Fleming has with Garrett, and obviously that's going to help him in terms of you know how this depth chart sh- shakes out. But to your point. When you look across this line, like I really look at it as however you want to slice this thing, you know, it's going to be Thomas Hernandez. And then you're talking about if it's if it's Gates, obviously at center, then you're going to end up with to me, it's Lemieux kind of in the Gates role. And this will be this likewise go for Pert as well. Developing, getting better if needed and called into action. You're going to come in there and it's going to be baptism by fire. Obviously, you're going to have pulley potentially in the mix there. And then you have Zeitler going there at right guard. And you're going to have uh, Fleming or Gates with Pert behind them. And I think that that's the way this is supposed to shake out in the Giants' mind, right? You know, Fleming becoming a glorified depth chart guy wouldn't be the worst case scenario for the Giants in my mind. And at the very least, you want to put these young guys in Lemieux and Pert in a position to say, hey, 
get ready, be, you know, be ready to get thrown in there. And if we need to use you maybe in the middle of the season for a handful of snaps or a half a quarter, whatever it may be, that's where you're going to get your little taste of the NFL because we do have long-term expectations for you. Well, and Adam, isn't this a breath of fresh air where we're not yelling and screaming about like the giants have no depth. We just got to kind of throw a guy out there and, Fingers crossed that, that Saquon Barkley doesn't get hurt or David, Daniel Jones doesn't get murdered. At, at this point, we're basically saying, like, Nick Gates could play right tackle. He could play center. Shane Lemieux could be one of the guard backups, or he could play center. Cam Fleming is listed as guard, but we think he could be great at right tackle. You know, Pert is a guy that we think can develop into a right tackle of the future. It mm-hmm. feels like we have a lot of flexibility across the line. And so for me, I don't necessarily know if I have conviction on one path or the other. What I do know is that we have a lot of great options that are also young that I think we can develop. And this line is going to grow with the, you know, the emergence of, of Daniel Jones in year two and Saquon Barkley coming into his own after, after a couple of years. Like, I, I'm excited about the options that we have on the line where I feel like the last three, four, five years, like the offensive line has been – the one point where I just kind of close my eyes and put fin- cross my fingers and say, please don't die, but, but. quarterback. <laughs> Whoever the quarterback is, please don't die, Eli, Gino, well, that's the, oh, Daniel. Like, yeah. please just don't die, right? Kyle. Uh, the, uh, well, uh, and you're, you know, this was, this, was, this was years of backups in the starting role and then practice squad players in the backup role. And, we, and we've at least moved beyond that, and that's a real positive for the Giants, obviously. So we'll keep our eye on it. You know, again, no preseason games. It's, it's going to be hard, I think, for the Giants to commit to any of these rookies, Lemieux, Pert, or otherwise, um, you know, at least initially. If, if they come on as you get into the season, then you can make those adjustments. But that's the reason why you bring in a Fleming, and it's why you extend a guy like Nick Gates so that you feel comfortable. And by the way, it's also why you have Pulley. You know, he had he had two years ago, good season, didn't look strong the following one, but that's why you have him there too because you at least know what he is. Doesn't mean he's great, but you, you have a quantity there that you can understand. If I put him in, I can expect X, and I can know that I can run away from it if I need to in the running game, or I can quicken up the snap count, or it's going to be a quick three-step drop for Daniel Jones to accommodate for what you maybe don't have in front of him. Um, the other thing that happened here, just in terms of some other moves the Giants made, they also claimed uh, the ex-Browns wide receiver, Tory, Tony Brown, excuse me, um, from the Cardinals. Got those things spun around there. Here we go. Tony Brown of the Cardinals recently claimed by the Giants played at Colorado along with Chenault Jr. Tongue twister? Maybe. Maybe I'm just tired. The bottom line is though that bringing another wide receiver to this group and not unlike when you look at the offensive line, I took a look at this wide receiver core and we know that they brought in Benjamin Victor. We know that they brought in Austin Mack as well. You have Cody Core returning, and maybe a dark horse here is Corey Coleman and what he's going to look like. He is back on the roster, so it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. Not unlike the offensive line depth chart getting thrown out there quickly, behind Shepard, Tate, and Slayton, you have Core behind Shepard, uh, Coleman behind Tate, and then Tony Brown gets thrown up there behind Darius Slayton. Uh, he, he has had quality. He's not the more known name out of Colorado, but – he, I think, went for 56 catches and a little over 700 yards in his best season in 2019 at college. Uh, he had a, has a solid build there, six foot one, not the tallest guy, <laughs> somewhat not surprising there for the Giants. But when you have uh, Victor and Mac there, now you're having a balance. 
when you look at the depth chart, even though maybe our, our front three are, are solid, if, if all healthy and all things considered, this again feels like bringing in bodies to start to shuffle some of the David Stills, uh, the, the Bachmans, the Derek Dillons who are currently on this roster as well. What's your take on bringing in another wide receiver body and, and how do you look at that group overall? To be honest with you, Adam, I'm not reading as far into it as you are. I think they maybe read the tea leaves with Damari Scott, knowing that he was probably going to opt out, and they knew that they would have a roster spot available for a wide receiver. So I think that's kind of the decision that they made. Uh, you know, f- for me, I, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. it. It feels like depth. I'd like to see someone like Benjamin Victor assert yeah. himself and, and really come into his own. Like, you know, at Texas, he had a lot of promise. He's a big big body receiver. It's really unfortunate that guys like him aren't going to get a chance during the preseason to really shine the way that guys like Victor Cruz have being a late round pick in in those preseason games. Um, So he's going to have to show more to be able to move up the depth chart, but it makes sense to me, you know, you know, they kind of see him as six one. They, they see him as competent size and stature to Slayton. So it makes sense to, to slot him there. I'm not reading too much into it until we can see a little bit more about, you know, where these players are actually looking at in training camp. Yeah. I, listen, at the very least, I think, you know, you say Mac, you say Victor, and I now I say Brown though, right? These are, these are all receivers that have an opportunity to just shuffle themselves up this draft uh, up the depth chart for the New York football giants. And I'm not saying I put Brown ahead of either of those other two players. I think Victor is the guy that we would fingers crossed because of his size and his skill set would rise up there for them to be a contributor. The interesting thing for me is really in that regard, just when you think about, um, you know, Cody Cora has his, has his place on special teams, but Coleman and Sills and these other guys, it's like, you know, they're very shuffable commodities out the door. And I would just as soon get as young as I can behind our main, behind our main receivers. So that if something happens, or if you're looking for someone to come in and supplement, you have an element of, what could be right how can this guy expand what our offense is is as opposed to over these past handful of years like when we had uh was that flowers when he was here and you thought a fowler excuse me and you thought you know all right i get it you know i know the measurables but i also know this guy has a track record of being a muddling mediocre wide receiver so there's no real mystery there at the very least same thing right it feels like hey There's some excitement here. There's a little bit of buzz about the wide receiver room, and that's fun to have as we work our way through August as well. Well, uh, not to to pivot too quickly, but speaking about mystery, Adam, one update I did want want to give is also since we were last on, Aldrick Rosas has been released by the New York football Giants. He is no longer with the team. And, you know, he was kind of mercurial where, you know, he had a – kind of a two good years with, with a bit like two bad years with one really good pro bowl year sandwich in the middle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had all the off the field issues with the, the alleged D W I D U I and leaving the scene and all the other stuff that comes with it. So the giants decided to cut bait um, with that corresponding move. They have signed uh, Chandler Canizaro to uh, a non-guaranteed contract. So I, I think what the Giants are doing is saying we need a kicker on the roster, but I don't suspect that this is the last kicker that they're going to be bringing in before the season starts. What's your take on everything with Rosas and uh, Chandler being signed? Yeah, listen, um, uh, you know, not that it's in correlation or in conjunction with DeAndre Baker and what's going on there. He falls on the uh, commissioner's exempt list as well. So you know, there's going to be some some more things to play out there. But 
you know, most of the facts, so to speak, are in on, on Rosas and what happened there. And I, I just, to me, for a kicker who, and he's still young, and I know he's got the big leg, it just screams of a guy who, who's not really focused, right? And coming off of it, of an, of this mixed bag kind of start to your career, it just feel. I want. I want to hear that you're honing in your craft in the off season. I want to hear that you're you're just driving them through the uprights time and time again. Uh, you know, it's it's COVID times and people get you know a little bit stir crazy, but that's just a lot of poor judgment. And listen, I, I said this about Baker as well. I don't hold anyone's feet to the fire over one mistake that they made. I hope that he learns from it, and I'm sure that you will see him catch on with another team. Uh, you know, the talent level is there, but in general, the feedback around uh, social media on on the cut was. I don't know why you bail out on the, you know, why would you bail on him right now? I just think at some point you have to meet the, by the way, this is, this is going to be a contract year for him as well. So, you know, you're talking about also getting to the point where you have to commit to this player in some amount of long term if you wanted to retain him. And the dollar amount w- would be significant because he's at least a kicker in the NFL, as you proved by who the Giants brought in. Um, so listen, I, I'm, I'm fine with him not being here, I guess is the bottom line. I liked him early. I don't think that he showed a tremendous amount of consistency. So regardless of off the field, I, I'm okay with the moving on from him. Now the question mark is who else comes in here? And, and, and you know, th- that position is, is pivotal. Got Someone's got to put this thing through the post for us. And that's going to be a curiosity going into the year. Yeah. <clears throat> listen for, for me, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I think about the kicking position a little bit different and it's, we're coming from a soccer background where I feel like there is a bunch of skill involved in kicking. Mm-hmm. What, what, what you realize is there's Justin Tucker and then there's everyone else in terms of, of kickers, like no kicker like really spends his entire career with a team anymore. They go through a, you know, a slump of six games or a year or 18 months and they get released and they sign on with a new team and they perform. You know, Mason Crosby's been one of the few people that's actually stick, stuck with the team that he was with. But look at guys like Robbie Gould, who's been with San Francisco. You know, he's been with Chicago and then moved to San Francisco. And, and, and Chicago's been desperate for, for a kicker as long as they've been desperate for a quarterback. You, you look at guys like Adam Vinatieri. He moved from the, from the Patriots to, to the Colts. You look at Dan Bailey has been on numerous teams. And, and is still a quality kicker. Matt Prater has moved from, you know, the Detroit Lions to the Denver Broncos, and he has a strong leg. It's just like kickers to me, unless you're Justin Tucker who can hit it from 65 consistently and you're going to pay him to do that and he delivers every time, yeah. it, you know, every two years you're kind of looking for, for another kicker unless you just feel familiar with one of them and you're like, it's fine. I, I don't yeah. know if there's like that many teams that are like, we know we have our kicker for the future and we're good for three years. It's like kickers. It's it's a six to 12 month trial period every single time. In a lot of ways, it's a hot hand, right? Go with the hot leg. Like that's what you're looking for. We're looking to catch fire with the leg for a year or two. Uh, if we get a season, great. And then we'll see what happens the next year. And we'll bring somebody else in. Cause to your point, by the way, it's, you know, the year years of the, uh, the era of, of big contracts for kickers. And there was a time when that, when that really was happening around the league, that very much feels like it's falling by the wayside. And that's also in connection with what the way the NFL has moved away from things, right? Kickoffs aren't as important. The, the, the opportunity to go for two more frequently, like the, the kicking aspect of the game is being weaned out in so many ways that that also makes a difference as well. I'll actually take it in a little bit of a different direction here to, tied to that. I've often thought that with the way the NFL has gone, You'd be so much better suited if you were a kicker or a punter at the college level of lear- of doing both. 
I know it's a little bit of a different skill between punting and field goal kicking. One is the ball spotted down. The other one is kind of like the Australian rules punting. But, yeah, there is value in doing both. I, I, I am curious to wonder why there hasn't really been someone that has been proficient enough to just uti- like utilize one roster spot. Because to me, that's kind of where you get the win out of this is if you can free up another roster spot, if you can free up another roster spot, Adam, to be able to have like another quarterback or offensive tackle or linebacker by having someone that has the proficiency in both, I think that's actually a huge asset. And I, I don't know what, what it is. I mean, <clears throat> there must be just such a different skill set that a kicker could do both, but not both at the professional level. And that's really, I think, where the challenge comes in. Well, if Vinny Testaverde can do a pooch kick through the uprights, uh, I just don't understand why it can't happen. Someone's got to figure that out for us. Um, before we get out the door, is there, was there anything else that we need to cover, man? This really was I, – I, my other thought, by the way, if I have something to cover, is that uh, the Giants still stuck with uh, Platzgummer. I thought that that was interesting. We talk about moving on from, from John Hilleman. I mean, it's as much about everyone, any other running back that's around this roster right now. Now, he gets the European exemption, so it doesn't affect the roster, which makes it easier to keep a guy like that around, even just for August. But, you know, I, I hate to say it because I actually I, I was higher on Hilleman, but maybe that's just an indication that they're at least willing to look at these other guys. Um, So he sticks around as well. It's just something that popped into my mind in terms of the moves made. Yeah, I mean, I like that. Like you said, they get the the European kind of exemption out of all this, which kind of lets you tuck away certain players to, to be able to do that. So I like it. I, I think um, this week it was interesting just w- with a lot of the different opt-outs from, from different teams. Most teams had like one or two opt-outs. For some reason, the New England Patriots have like eight or nine at this point. They're like markedly different than everyone else. I don't know if that's just a pure coincidence or if there's something more there. But again, we're not a Patriots podcast, so I'm not going to speculate on that. But I just found that to be fascinating. Yeah, I if, if I if I had to if I had to throw something out there, I would say that it's a lot of veteran guys and it's a lot of guys that maybe are looking at new contracts coming up soon. And they're not about to risk themselves under Belichick and the Patriots when they're going to go ahead into the offseason, look for that big payday, as every Patriot player does once their time has been on their own accord or by the Patriots been uh, ruled over in New England. But we're not about them. We're about beating them in the Super Bowl. We'll see you guys back there soon. Uh, That'll do it for us, I think, man. Uh, We'll wait to hear about Marcus Golden, supposed to be coming into camp, uh, I think, in the next day or two, and officially sign that $4.1 million uh, tender. So we'll we'll get him back in the door. He's listed right up there at at the top of the depth chart. So we know 10 sacks from a season ago, looking to build out that depth on the defensive side. You can follow us, as we like to say, over there on social media at One Giant Podcast on Sportscaster, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, even on YouTube, friends. You can see our big, beautiful faces for better or worse as we record these live from time to time. Until we return again, until we meet again, friends, into the final month, final month here, buddy, before we're, <laughs> fingers crossed, starting the NFL football season. Hopefully, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. knows something that we didn't, and that's why he reported, because there will be football and as andy would like the people to know as always let's go big blue